All right. Well, here we go. A conversation with Bonnie and Bob. And we have a special guest today. Our youth minister at House Church, Chris Holmes, has joined us uh, for the conversation. Um, as you saw by the title, this definitely comes with a trigger warning because I can't keep Chris's mouth uh, contained. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This comes with a trigger warning because of the content that we are about to discuss um, that we feel is an important topic, um, and that is the topic of mental health and illness and suicide. So if this is a topic that you need support with, um, we would encourage you to stop playing this episode now and get the support that you need if you would like to listen to this episode. And um, and if and if you are able to hear it and and um, know that where you are in your mental health journey, uh, that this would be a blessing to you. We definitely invite you to join the conversation today. Um, a number of weeks ago, we had. Um, Bob James, our teacher and uh, scholar in residence, as we like to say at House Church, um, just a beloved, um, beloved friend and beloved minister and teacher um, of the scripture, ministered about his own experience uh, with regard to um, being a suicide attempt survivor. Um, and very few people knew Bob's story um, until he shared it, uh, at the beginning of the year with us as a church, uh, when he was a young person, um, after a, uh, a breakup, um, with, with a girl that he was very much in love with. And after a series of failed, uh, romantic relationships, he felt just a, a, a basic sense of hopelessness and, went on to share that that he did attempt um, and survived um, after a series of interventions uh, with friends and what he believes to be the the spirit the spirit of God and now some 40 years later um, is still alive and and well and is um, believing to see and, and seeing purpose in in his life. Um, all throughout the decades and the reasons um, that he was able to to uh, to live to live that day. We're not going to go into the details of that story on this episode. However, something came of this um, that we felt was important to address. And that is, in conservative um, religious circles, there is a message. That is con that is still um, spoken today, that would lead people to believe that if a person dies by suicide, they are they. It's it's hard even to say this, and um, to please please just understand this is what the message is. This is what the message in some conservative religious circles that the message is that that person would be eternally punished um, and, and their eternal destination would be a hell. And it came to light as Bob was speaking that day that he said something about that. 
And that is what we want to talk about on the podcast today. We want to talk about why we have come to understand that that message is false. And the reason why we want to share that is to comfort and console people who have experienced the loss of a loved one, a friend, a family member to suicide and the resulting fear that that person may not in fact be in heaven. I have a, a personal experience of a beloved, beloved friend of mine who is like family to me and is still like family to me. I've known them for more than more than 35 years and her brother died by suicide after returning from Afghanistan and was uh, prescribed a sleeping medication and while on the sleeping medication that had adverse reaction in his system he he com he died and I remember walking through that experience with my sister and our and our brother that we lost. Um, and her fear that he would not be in heaven. She was um, pained and and riddled with dreams that were frightening about his eternal destination. And I knew, you know, 20 years ago when this happened, I didn't know how to have a conversation with her about what I believe to be true with regard to people that um, are in pain and in some cases not in their in their um, healthy mind. And I didn't know how to have a conversation then. And I wish I could have known then what I know now and have had the resources that I have, that we all have available to us now. And that's what we want to talk about today in hopes to comfort you and to give you language and how to speak. Um, maybe give you some things to think about, some things to research, some things to look up on, and perhaps to consider, take to prayer, take to, um, take to a friend. Not to give anyone a reason but to give those that are living with the fear that a loved one that they have lost to suicide, to give them some hope that they will see them again. So again, I have Bob with me and Chris, and um, Chris has a, a certifications in a number of different things, but one of which is mental um mental health care and in with our youth has taken some very significant and intensive courses around this and has some of the most updated and up-to-date, I should say, um, information uh, with regard to this topic. And we wanted to share some statistics. Um, we know that, that living through the pandemic and uh, the increasing uh, what I would call an epidemic of anxiety and depression 
in our culture um, for all kinds of reasons. We know that mental health and mental health care is a topic that needs to be discussed and a taboo that needs to be um, removed. The stigma of mental illness needs to be removed from our groups so that we can get the aid and support and the help to the people that are survivors, people that are surviving, people that are considering it, people that live with those ideas and ideations on a daily basis. You are not alone. And we are not alone. And the more we have healthy conversations about this topic, I think the better off our society will be. So welcome, welcome you guys and welcome Chris um, and Bob, as always on a weekly basis. Thank you for taking your time to have a conversation with me. I'm Hello. Getting- I'm getting the thumbs up. <laughs> getting the thumbs up. That doesn't work on a podcast. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I do have a clip um, that holds some statistics that I thought were interesting. It comes from an NBC uh, video clip from the middle of 2023, a special edition on mental health. And I thought I would play that. Um, just to give us uh, some talking points and then launch into the theological side of of our topic today. The U.S. Surgeon General calls it the defining public health crisis of our time, mental health. One in five adults experience mental illness every year. Depression rates are at an all-time high. A third of adults report being diagnosed with depression sometime during their lifetimes, a figure that is rising. Nearly 50,000 Americans died by suicide last year, more than any year on record. The president says we are falling short. In 2020, less than half, less than half of all adults with mental illness diagnosis received care for it. Less than half. For children, the number's even worse. Nearly 70% of our kids who seek care for mental health or addiction cannot get it. For all those brave enough and strong enough to seek help, and I mean that, brave enough and strong enough to seek help, we have to do better. In 2021, more than 12 million American adults thought about suicide. 1.7 million attempted it. The youth mental health crisis is overwhelming emergency rooms. Nearly 60% of high school girls reported persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. And for our nation's veterans, the crisis line is fielding a record number of cries for help. This morning in a special broadcast on the nation's mental health crisis, we will have a conversation about all of it. How do we talk about mental health? How do we access treatment and care? And maybe most importantly, how do we pay for it? I think those statistics are staggering, um, and there were fifty thousand people last year. And I, I think the number twelve million people think about it um, in our country, and probably you know I was not polled on that poll. I don't know if you guys were polled on that poll, and I know that they have algorithms and math to to gather those numbers, but. I would imagine that the number's higher. 
Chris, after hearing um, those stats, like what's going through your mind and, and how can we get your voice in the space today as we're talking about this issue? Yeah, no, we, um, as far as statistics go, it's about 17 million that experience what we would call like serious thoughts of suicide. So that's, um, you know, they've either made a plan or have thought about it, um, told someone about it or, um, sought, sought help. Um, however, the amount of people that seek help, that experience those thoughts, um, there's a big, there's a huge gap. And if we're looking at it or, or viewing it from the lens of what should the church's response be, I think more people inside the walls of congregations across the country because the amount of people who enter those doors are very high, higher than any um, mental health or mental wellness institution. Um, those, those folks need to be trained on seeing, noticing, triaging, connecting to those who are experiencing serious thoughts of suicide or suicidal signs or symptoms. So that's that's where I sit um, in the space that I'm in within House Church as I connect with youth ministries and youth ministers across the country is advocating for mental health training and awareness inside of those spaces so we can help to heal. How, um, how would you say a person would approach the subject um, if they notice that a friend, a loved one is, I mean, presenting signs, like what, what are some of the signs of being able to know if you need to take action? Like how, how, how do you even assess such a situation I mean, typically some of the indicators, and it's different for every person, right? Because we're all individual, but some of the indicators can be just extreme behavior shifts. Most people take that into account of like, oh, they're sad now or they're this now, but it can be the opposite. So it can be somebody who's been, you know, prior melancholy personality is now super happy and joyful. Um, you know, that, that, that seems to be kind of un- uh, characteristic of their behavior pattern so far, you would notice that, and and you can approach it very, um, you know, conversational. Hey, Bonnie, I've noticed that you're experiencing a lot. You know, you're showing, you know, more, um, you know, more joy or more, you know, elation and different things. Uh, can you tell me about what's, you know, what's been changing in your life that or open to a conversation because <clears throat> you never want to come and approach any situation. The ver the reverse of that is also true with a with an agenda or like a preconceived notion of what they might be experiencing. 
That's really helpful. That's really helpful. Yeah. The, the, so the, the swings in behavior, it would be a, a good indication to just softly and gently move into that space or maybe tell somebody that you have a, a trusted relationship with to give them a heads up that you've noticed that behavior shift and, yeah. and possibly let them. I've noticed whatever you've noticed and that I'm concerned or I'm in care of this person and their overall well-being. It's as simple as that to start the conversation. That's great. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for that awareness. Um, so we shared some, some good info and, you know, it's, it's a hard topic to, to discuss, but I think what we really want to try to get to today is that nagging, scary, <laughs> um, tormenting thought that my loved one that died by suicide is not going to be in heaven. And I really want to want to get there in in that conversation again um, to offer some hope and to provide language as we are communicating with others who have this in their family. Um, Bob, you had mentioned a a scripture, and I know you've been been listening. So what's in the in the uh, like the the theme of these podcasts are conversational. So ev again, everybody needs to know that we haven't prescripted this. This is a conversation um, as if we were at around around the table at a coffee shop and we're just having a conversation. So we just appreciate that that grace that we don't um exactly know every step of the way, just like a good conversation. Some things will be surprising and some things will be um, just like beautifully unfolding as the Holy Spirit um, helps us all in, in this conversation. And Bob, I want to just say um, as the, as the suicide attempt survivor on this call today, I am deeply grateful and thankful for your life and deeply grateful and and thankful that um that you have chosen to live um and be in my life for all of these years and have made such a tremendous impact on me and I know on so many others and we just love you so much and want to hear yeah. want to hear what your insight has been as you have uh, been in relationship with this topic over the years and well um and and probably um my personal experience with it when i was i think i was like 19 or 20 right in there um was something that uh prompted me to study it since then um I honestly don't remember um, where my beliefs were at at that time um, on this topic. I don't think it was that. <laughs> I can't imagine that I believed that was what was going to happen because um, I had been experiencing what I consider um thoughts of hell since I was four years old and, um, which we won't get into that, but 
Um, and it, and my fears then weren't that I was going to go. It was because of my grandpa's teaching, my parents were going to go and I wasn't going to be there. So right. it was still, for me, it was still hell because again, for me, one of the, ways you can uh, people think about hell is and that what they call it is eternal separation and that in and of itself is one of the uh, ultimate torments is um, being separated and knowing you're gonna forever be separated um, and not just from you know a person like the grief that we experience in an individual death or even a group of people who who might pass in an accident or something but but everyone that you've ever known and loved that would be, um, that's what I found untenable and was terrifying to me as a child that my, through my grandpa's preaching, um, my parents were going to go to hell for their smoking. And I, I, I didn't believe I was going to go to hell. I mean, I was four or five and, <laughs> but, um, that, that tor that tormented me though, that put me into a place of hell, a living hell here on earth, which is primarily what I think a lot of the scriptures speaking of hell are actually talking about, but, um, so yeah, I have looked at many, many, um, teachers. I've read many scriptures and actually the scripture that I mentioned, I was, I was doing another further little looking here just a second ago and found that that's actually not even in most of the context of, um, brought into the discussions uh, on some of the papers that are out there on um, the religious stance on suicide, because it's sort of divided into two, a major category, and then categories within that one, is it right or wrong, according to Christianity, um, and most denominations, and then further, is it a is it a cause for eternal separation? In other words, a thing that could um, send someone to hell for those denominations that uh, prescribe to a, a place of eternal separation. Um, and it's actually interesting. They don't even use hardly any verses. It's so as is so common in doctrines. Um many doctrines don't have any scriptures. They're yeah. just beliefs that have come about over centuries based on philosophical and ontological and epistological and yada, 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 fancy, you know, theological terms for discussions that, that um, different people in the upper hierarchy of denominations discuss, but oftentimes they're not even based on scripture, which is, ultimately ironic since they say that they believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God and is, uh, you know, useful for all things, but they want to skip the one that says it's useful for um, doctrine. That's where you're supposed to get your doctrine from. If they want to, if they believe the Bible is the foundation for their belief, but the Bible is not the foundation for their doctrines. And yet they believe their doctrines, then that's, there's a problem there. Yeah. You can see that's like, well, which is it? Do you believe the Bible or do you believe your doctrines? And that's, again, a major problem. And that's one of the things that Jesus was trying to dissect amongst the many, many, many things that he did as a beautiful, astounding teacher. He tried to show them 
that many things that they believed, they being the leaders of the day and some uh, people who were uh, listening to those teachers, that their beliefs weren't actually based on scripture. They were just based on thoughts about the scriptures, which we, we always have, you know, they, they had Mishra, they had these, these books that they would look into and study and teachers that they would follow and some they'd follow and some they didn't. And some long-term made it into these um, books of commentary that um, the Jewish leaders used in the days of Jesus and some use even to this day, but that, and that's actually, I mean, we do that in, in all churches, all, almost, almost, I shouldn't say that all many denominations. I mean, I know there are some that say that they're, you know, like non-denominational, they don't prescribe to um, necessarily the doctrines of others, a set script of doctrines. Anyway, all that said, um, what's interesting is, uh, one of the papers that I looked at said that most, many, many Protestant denominations, though they would say suicide is wrong, which I don't know that anybody would say, um, you know, stealing isn't wrong or or um, uh, whatever, murder isn't wrong. I mean, you know, these these basic moral things that we can say are harmful to you others and society as a whole, those are things that we find morally repugnant or whatever term you want to use, that they're just, they're not, they're not beneficial. They're not gonna, they're not growing things. They're, they're, um, they're shrinking things, um, and, and making us devolve into less, um, humans as we're intended to be by the declaration of God that he created us as good, like good, like him, um, to be, uh, being made in his, in his image and likeness. So what's interesting is one of the only denominations, um, that did prescribe to it for a long time was Catholicism. And that was because they have their two forms, their doc, their major doctrines of venal and, um, uh, oh gosh, it just jumped out of my head. What are the two forms in Catholicism? Venal sins and, Omission. No, there's. I'm sorry. I, that's so funny. Anyway, uh, one is what I was mortal, thinking. mortal sins, mortal sins, venal and mortal sins. So venal sins are just sins that you do that are bad, and but they're not necessarily going to um, separate you should you die in that state and you haven't gone to confession. Mortal sins, on the other hand, are things that that absolutely, if you don't seek and repent and get forgiveness for, those are detrimental. When you go to the pearly gates, you're not getting in. Um, and they had prescribed for a for thou, a, a thousand years, basically, that um, suicide well, for a very long time, that suicide was definitely a mortal sin and that that would keep you from getting in. So that's where most other denominations began to get that from was actually from the Catholic Church that was picked up, for instance, by the Baptists, which um, I believe was the denomination. And again, not all Baptists, there's 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 dozens and dozens of denominations, even within Baptist, uh, um, the Baptist title. Um, but the, her particular branch that she belonged to, um, that's what they believed. And that's what they taught, that anyone who had died by suicide were 
subject to the flames of hell, basically. There was just no, no other possibility for them. And the interesting thing is even the Catholic Church itself has changed its stance on that because now they they ascribe to and understand that ultimately God as the judge is the God of mercy and grace. That's his, and, and actually that, so they're actually coming more to a place of understanding what the Bible actually says when you really um, divide it all out, when you really parse it, what the Bible says about the justice of God, when you look at all the scriptures about the justice of God, ultimately he says, my justice is mercy and grace. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things, though, that a lot of people don't like, because people feel that's not doing justice right. God, mm -hmm. you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And where we clearly see that is, again, people say there's no place in the Bible that says that God isn't going to be, you know, he doesn't have wrath. He doesn't have vengeance. He's not going to be meeting out his wrath and vengeance upon sin. I'm like, really? Nowhere, huh? Okay, well, how about the Good Samaritan? I'm sorry, the Good Samaritan. How about the, the, the prodigal son? The son sins. He doesn't repentant. I mean, he, he is repentant in his mind, but he doesn't even get a chance to actually do that to the father. The father has been all along waiting, not with vengeance and wrath for the disobedience and the dishonoring act of the son leaving. He's waiting for him with joy, he invites him in. The only one who doesn't want to come in to the father's grace and mercy party which is justice for God. It's Jesus said, that's the father. The father is the father who deals with justice, not with vengeance and retribution and violence and eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's always been the human way. It's that his justice is he gives grace and mercy. Hold on right there. And, that's so beautiful. And I love that. And Chris has their hand up. So I want to see where, what the, uh, what the thought was as you were speaking that so beautiful. Yeah. I just wanted to bring like a personal perspective kind of back into this frame of reference of the conversation. When, when we've historically seen, you know, some of the context or subtext that we use to create these doctrines or belief systems, we have to think about sometimes how cultural um, components have made their way into and uh, where I'm coming from is that I had I've had a conversation this week with a young man who um, a, a wonderful young man who um, has recently lost his dad and feels that he's unable to grieve because he's holding now the family up because he's the the left heir male of the family and he used the word with me, suffer in silence, that men are taught to suffer in silence, right? And, right. and who is the majority of the people who are enacting these doctrines would be men. So from their lens and their perspective, from their societal positionality, would see death by suicide as unforgivable because asking for help is unforgivable. Hmm. Does that? Yeah. Yeah. Track? I see that. I can track with that. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, so interesting. And I just really love that you're taking the, 
the you know up the doctrine the doctrine road bob and really the predominant um messaging that we get in christianity does come from the the catholic the catholic messaging the catholic church and i i i appreciate that that perspective and you were going with the prodigal son i wanted to see um i mean just so interesting that the doctrine around suicide is not supported by any particular scripture it doesn't seem but you did have a scripture that you wanted to bring forward i wondered if that was the that, time well well and here's to finish on that because i kind of abruptly ended and i don't want to offend anybody um truly uh even within you know like the catholic persuasion because what what's interesting is just in the last i can't remember the date but in the 70s 80s at some point the Catholic Church t- changed its stance on that and said, we really don't know. We can't say definitively that this is that, because even with mortal sins, there is always the grace and mercy of God that we do not have. We, we're not privy to what God's ultimate decision may be. So they're even being more open and saying, as before, it was always, oh, cut and dry. You can, If you come and you ask me, someone committed uh, someone uh, died by suicide, that, that person is in hell. They would, that's what their answer would have had to have been if they, uh, a, a priest, for instance, if he had, uh, uh, upheld the, um, the uh, Orthodox um, authorized Catholic doctrine. I know that many times they don't, they sometimes, you know, they, they are people too, and they are, they have their own thoughts. And I think that's beautiful, but, uh, and because they can, they can, I know that there are, things I've heard over the years where I've because uh, I listen to the Catholic radio oftentimes too, because they have some amazing theologians on there talking about things. And I'm, it's fascinating um, uh, how nuanced um, it really gets in there anyway. It really does. Well, on that point, the Catholic church, I, you know, I think that there is this kind of difference a uh, p- political and social moral difference between Pope Francis and what some of the priests are are purporting. Like there is a difference there because P- Pope Francis has just recently come out to say that that queer people are not um, automatically um, separated from God and they are not they are not innately sinful. And right. just, no, they can, can even they can now come to their churches. The only thing they cannot do is they can't and they can be they can be married and recognized. The only thing that they that from what I've heard, they that the priests themselves can't perform the wedding ceremony, which I find fascinating. That yes, is that exactly. like, well, how are you dicing all that? But exactly. yeah, it's changed. There's many, many, many changes going on. It really, um, it really is. And Francis, I think, has just done such a, a beautiful job in the last, I guess, 14 years or so that has been that he's, but I think he's caused a lot of friction factions in, yes. in you know, and to, to your point with Catholic radio, um, that you get all kinds of different opinions. So we're not at all saying that this is what Catholics believe. Right. No, that's the thing. I don't want to sling mud on anybody, but at the same time, it's interesting because according to one of the papers I read that had a lot of statistics, um, the vast majority of Protestant churches do not believe this. And the reason is um, though they would say 
they would they wouldn't they would say one way or the other or they would they would say with most certainty that it's a sin but it's not a but it's or i'm sorry they called it an act in the paper i read it says it's an act but acts aren't what keep us uh determine our eternal um salvation it is um the, the finished work of jesus and that it went on to say some other things that i disagree with but that is the major point that um, and again, this is where, again, even like doctrines like eternal salvation, and that's, again, in some denominations and not in others, that once saved, always saved, that the, once you've accepted Christ, that now your uh, your eternal destination is made certain. And again, as you know, this would be an entirely different episode, but um, that point, from my perspective, uh, when you properly... Uh, parse scripture and all of all of the scriptures that talk about all this um that no one's eternal um uh, destination is in, in jeopardy at any time because we've all been redeemed in Christ and again salvation is a point at which you get gain access to that redemption which allows you to know that you have never been separated from the father and you have direct access to the father. The very reason Jesus came so that we would no longer fear God and could go to him. And that that access is, is what we call uh, salvation and all the things that come with it, peace and joy and hope and, and um, all of these uh, uh, Christian attributes. But um, that, None of that has anything to do uh, that that all with us. Ultimately, it was a decision that God made. God was the one that was redeeming the world. Scripture says through Jesus. And again, the the church has simply conflated salvation and redemption sure. as they're both the same. And so. While all have been redeemed, which this comes to our subject of what we're talking about today, since all have been redeemed, then the eternal salvation of any person is that their ultimate destination is to be returned to the Father. Um, we were made in, in in the image of Jesus. We were made like the image of Jesus. We were made we were made in the same way that Jesus was. And see, he did everything he did without fear while he was here because it says he knew where he came from. Which means he had a he had a preexistence, and he knew where he's returning to. Well, if we're made in his likeness and image, then that means we too had a source before we were here, and we are returning to a place where we will go once we depart from here, back to where we or we became, we, where we started from. And why else would Paul say, "Have this mind that was in Christ"? That that um. Uh, he didn't hold these things, all, all these thoughts that Christ had. And we now have the mind of Christ. Well, my, Christ's mind is, I know I I came from a source and I know I'm returning. Job, well, the oldest just, book in the Bible, that. that's the same thing. That's Animals peace. die, they go to dust. Humans right. die, we go to the Father because that's where we came from. Well, I mean, the, the Pauline revelation would even say that whatever you feel about Paul. But, you know, Paul said... To be absent from the body is to be present with, the, with the Lord. And so many, um, you know, religious circles would like feel like that's talking to their religious circle, you know, like, <laughs> but it's right. Really no, that's only for people within our group. 
because yeah, we found yeah. all the magic formulas. And doesn't isn't there a passage in Ecclesiastes about the spirit from the spirit God, you know, came from God and when it, it and it shall return unto God for God has set eternity in our hearts and it return it returns to God. Um, it and it's, it, in no uncertain terms that long ago it it was saying that I think my internet it might be unstable. But continue on, Bob, on what you were were going to say and just offering comfort and support to people who have a question about where does their that's where you came from. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Keep going. Yeah. Yep. Can you hear me? Yes. I'm not hearing anything. I can hear All right. We yeah. had a little bit of technical difficulty, but here we are. Let's go. Let's get to the so, let's get to the let's get to the frosting part. So again, I would say that. Um, this has been another decisive doctrine that is, has been, has caused fear and has caused doubt in people's minds as to the character and nature of the father. But if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus said, when you see me, you're seeing the father. And I um, ask anyone do you believe that if Jesus came upon someone who was in such grief and such sorrow that they um, attempted and possibly died by suicide, that he would have anything uh, but but looking at that person as a broken vessel, a broken reed, a, a bent reed, a um, smoldering um, uh Wick. Wick. Thank you. <laughs> and that's what the scripture says. Those are the very ones. The broken hearted are the ones that Jesus came primarily for the first ones that he always ministered to. Everyone else weren't ready for ministry because they didn't know they were broken. So these are the very ones that Jesus came to save and to find and to rescue. So obviously someone who dies by suicide is in that camp. And so they've been, they've been rescued by the, 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 the good shepherd. Even if they find their abode in hell, thou art there. I mean, we, we those are all other discussions, but no, they're not going to, they're not suffering an eternal torment. They're the moment that they are, um, there is um, a passage from this life for whatever reason they're with the father and that's what's happened with their loved ones. I just, I love that. And I, I found the scripture in Ecclesiastes that predates our, our Jesus coming, you know, as the word made flesh, it predates our cross event. It, cre it predates all of that dogma and doctrine. And it just basically says, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes right. 12. I just, I love the wisdom of the wisdom texts from Ecclesiastes and Psalms, what you just said, that even if a precious soul makes their home in Sheol, or in what we would think of as ultimate separation, behold, <laughs> Thou art with me, says the the King James, or even there you will be with me, that the Psalm of David said. And there is so much comfort 
to where we put limits and boundaries, God is still expanding. Where we want to put walls, God is tearing them down. Where we want to put parameters, God is exploding our minds to think even broader. And the the uh, extravagance of God's mercy and grace is only we're just beginning to scratch the surface. And so I think we can, we, though these are conclusions or maybe uh, thoughts we've formed and come to because of the things we've learned and seen, you know, what would you say and how would you comfort and console? Um, How would you study along these lines and come to your own conclusions? Um, This is where we've come. And I, I want (laughs) to, I want to lean in more to the limitless love of God and, and offer comfort. Remember Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people, comfort my people. Well, how do we comfort with truth and with the goodness of God? Thank you for, for having this conversation with me today. And, um, and for everybody listening, if you need support or want to talk about these matters further, please reach out, contact us. We're happy to talk and discuss um, anything that might be on your mind. So let the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Yeah.